now it's time for Rod and Real Radio with your hosts, Hop Along John Cassidy, fresh and saltwater expert angler Stan Vanderberg, and all-around outdoors fishing and hunting enthusiast Wendy Toshihara. If you love the outdoors, enjoy salt or freshwater fishing, learn to wade in a high Sierra or Alaska stream, or just look forward to taking the kids out to one of our local lakes to chase proud crappie or bass, this is the show for you. We'll cover most all of the fishing tournaments and events with special reports while providing you with the information you need as to how and where to experience the best fishing opportunities in Southern California, Baja, Alaska, or just about anywhere the fish are biting. Rod and Real Radio brought to you by El Cajon Ford at Broadway and Main or online at ElCajonFord.com. Whether it's time for a new or used car or truck or you need to take advantage of San Diego's best quick lane for service with genuine Ford parts, brand name tires at competitive prices, remember nobody beats El Cajon Ford. We have some fantastic guests and reports lined up for you this evening, so sit back, relax, and get ready for the fastest two hours in radio. It's all right here, right now, on Rod and Real Radio, the best stop on your Radio dial for all the information you need for fishing opportunities all over the United States. Now here's your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Mark Larson, thank you, and Southern California, welcome to Rod and Reel Radio. Appreciate you tuning in tonight. Hey, we've got a great show lined up for you tonight. Uh, just going over some of the guests, we're going to start off with Captain Chuck Taft from Sea Adventure Sports Fishing. He's going to update us on this continuing great season of 2015 that we're seeing. Also, he's going to tell us about some of the extras that are out there right now that you may want to know about. Then coming up at 6 o'clock, it's lobster season. Jim Salazar is going to be with us from Promar. Jim Salazar is an expert in recreational lobster hooping. He's going to show us the ifs, ands, and buts, tell us about the traps, the baits, Everything that we need to know to go out and catch lobsters on a recreational scale. So, Jim Salazar at 6 o'clock. And then starting at 6.40, boy, we are going to have an extreme outdoors fisherman. He's sometimes called the madman. Kevin Matson. he had an exceptional catch over this past week. We're going to catch up with Kevin and get his story, and that's at 6.40. But before we go to our first guest, let me introduce to you the Co-host of Ron Real Radio. First, he is a voice of one eight hundred bass boat and a really good fisherman in his own right. Stan Vandenberg. Stan, how you doing, sir? <laughs> well, good evening, everybody. I'm well, my friend. You know, fresh back from Cabo San Lucas, and I know you were traveling too, so all is well. When I left, well, I left here, flew to Cabo. It was raining when I got there. Had a decent week, but it was raining when I got. When I left, and I, I got a friend that's still down there, he said it's still raining. So maybe it'll get better for him this week. I hope so, too. And uh, thank you, Stan. And also, let me introduce to you the other co-host of Rod Real Radio. She is the national sales manager for Iserline and reps many other fine products in the fishing industry. She's just back from going out and killing something, from what I've been led to believe. <laughs> Wendy Toshihara. Wendy, how you doing, ma'am? I'm doing great. I'm having a great weekend. I'm trying to get everything done and putting in my time and trying to get a U.S. caught wahoo. So I was out on the water today, and I was pheasant and chucker hunting yesterday. Wow. Hi, girl. Hey, let's go to our guest because, Wendy, I think we've got someone that's going to be able to help you with that because I think he's going to be crowned the wahoo king. 
He hung up. Uh, he did. Oh, man. (laughs) What a great introduction that was. But let me say, hey, we're going to try and make our connection back with uh, Captain Chuck Taft from Sea Adventure Sports Fishing. He's had a great couple of weeks. He's also been on the Wahoo. And, man, we're going to want to hear all about it when we get Chuck back. But, you know, I have to thank Chuck because he made it available two weeks ago. Uh, We... uh, uh, chartered out the uh, Sea Adventure 2, and boy, did we have one heck of a trip. It was a limited load, only had about uh, 13 people on the boat. We, uh, you know, had a slow morning because it was the morning of that full moon with the uh, uh, the eclipse, but it still turned out to be a great morning. We didn't catch a lot of fish early in the morning, figured maybe the moon had something to do about it. But at 11 o'clock, pulled up to a kelp patty, and we loaded the boat. And I really want to thank uh, this, the crew of uh, Sea Adventure uh, uh, 2 Sports Fishing and, and Pat Doherty uh, got us on fish. And not only that, we fished a solid group of yellowfin tuna, dorado, and yellowtail for about an hour and a half. We limited up. We went off that kelp. Captain Pat called in. Another boat that came in and limited out on that same kelp. That boat called in another boat. They limited on out. And it's just the way that the 2015 season is going. It, it's uh, <laughs> remarkable. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, it, it's hard to, hard to fathom, you know, going into here we are in October. And it's still, you know, if you get out there a day, you know, a day or two on the water, um, at any point in time, you know, you'll be going, well, uh, we haven't got a bite, and it's already, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. At 10.30, you'll find the one kelp, and it's just Katie Barr's door, and it's not just one species. It can be every species. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to end up with by the time you get off the boat, and it, it's a, it's just been incredible. And then the, having the wahoo up here is just nuts. And along with these marlin, I mean, this is, this is an incredible season, especially coming back down, you know, from from Cabo and spending time down there, and and I think they're struggling more down there than the guys are up here. It's pretty crazy. Well, you know, over here we have, you know, just today out of Dana Point, um, we traveled the 267, the 209. We did the whole little route there looking for wahoos, and we found anywhere from 76-degree water all the way up to 78-degree water. Holy mackerel. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more conducive for those fish to move north than it is to stay down south when you're getting, you know, high 80s in, in the waters down below there in Cabo, 86, 87 and up. Uh, and you got to go around the corner to find cooler water. You go inside and it's just, it goes up from there. Um, uh, crazy, crazy fishing. Uh, you got uh, you still have the blue marlin, a lot of sailfish down in Cabo San Lucas right now. Sailfish, uh, wahoo, you know, they're blue marlin. Um, you've got a, the tuna showed up while we were there in that, uh, I would say, 60 to 80-pound stuff kind of came in and started moving in there uh, while, while I was down there. Um, but the, the better fishing was the surprise with all of the, all the sailfish that are in there, along with, the, you know, you, there's a fairly decent amount of wahoo and dorado and um, and then they had a bunch of skipjacks that moved in, too, and uh, they actually had boats trying to wrap those. 
I actually think they're wrapping them for the guys that are fishing for lobsters down there uh, more than anything else because uh, they said the, the lobster down there wasn't running as good as it should. One of the hotels said they hadn't had a Pacific lobster in five weeks. Go figure. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll be talking with Jim Salazar uh, later on the show to tell us, hey, is this warm water affecting anything and what the crawl is? Uh, you know, lobster season started last weekend. And we didn't have Jim on right in the beginning. Wanted to wait a week so we could get the results of what was happening. But what I, you know, from what I've been able to ascertain, and I was out of town, but I'm still trying to keep track of it. The recreational lobster hooping was as good, maybe a little bit better than last season. So we'll be catching up with that. But hey, we're still trying to reestablish contact with uh, uh, Captain Chuck Taff of Sea Adventure Sports Fishing. You can imagine all these skippers are really busy right now. But, hey, uh, Stan, you can help us out a little bit because I know, Wendy, you said you were trying to get a, uh, a U.S. water uh, a wahoo. And, Stan, you're probably caught more wahoo than Wendy and I combined. Tell us a little bit about some of the lures and how to rig for catching wahoo. Well, I mean, for the guy, if you're trolling, because that's, Right now, I think that's probably going to be your most effective. You've got to cover a little water out there. You don't know where they're going to be. Um, Wahoo, normally, you're, you know, if, you're, if you're going to go down south and you're on top of the ridge or, or uh, going to Alejos Rocks or whatever it is, you can target them uh, fairly easily. You just go over the high spots and run around. That's not so out here. Uh, they seem to target the, the, the bait fish that they want to eat, and that can either be Skipjack, or that small yellowfin tuna, or the dorado. Which, if you get on the kelp patty and there's a lot of dorado, you got a shot at having a lot of or wahoo around the area. I mean, our our first stop on our five day, we got six of them on one kelp. Um, there, they are available, but you've got to have you got to be prepared. One, if you're going to go out there and run around, have something that you control. I think it's speed. Uh, because going in between looking for kelp patties, you know, they they don't mind running fast. They're fast swimming fish. So I, and I've been pulling around a thing we call the cowbell. Um, it's made by Ballyhood. It, its real name is the the Banshee, but it weighs about 32 ounces, and you can pull it at 15 miles an hour while you're going from place to place to place, and it stays down, and they eat it really, really well. There's various sizes of them. Uh, I just ha- happen to like that bigger one because it stays down, and you. You can move it, um, you can throw it back a long way, you can throw it right up in the suds, it doesn't make any difference. The other thing you got to have is marauders, but everything has to be wired. In other words, put uh, uh, you know, 120-pound cable on, it doesn't make any difference what you're going to put on there. Put something on that, they, that if you hang a fish while you're trolling, it'll stay on. Make sure your hooks are sharp. Uh, most of the time the guys want single hooks on them because it's easier to get out of their mouth when you get them on the boat probably want to have a baseball bat to subdue that dude when you throw him in your boat if you're out there in your own private boat, for sure, and, and a good gaff. I mean, those are things you're going to need. When you stop and you get into an area where there are a possibility of that, that fish being there, or you hang one and you got to get him in there, you, it, once you got that fish in the boat, normally there's more than one in an area. They like to travel in wolf packs. And so you have uh, various bombs that are on the market, which just a, a type of lead head type of thing with a skirt on it and, and a hook. Um, you put wire that up with anywhere from 50 to 90 pound wire with uh, uh, some type of a, um, we use tuna rings to 
tie on to that if it's a bomb because they don't twi- twist in the water. Um, bombs are, have a, a swivel on the, on the hook with a little blade on the back end, kind of like a matty for fresh water. But they, you can throw them and reel them as fast as you can in salt water. The other thing is, you know, any, any of the various irons, whether it's tatty or salads or raider baits, uh, it's good to have something that you can throw in that vein, sink it out, count to ten at least, and point, point your rod at the bait and turn the handle as fast as you can if something climbs on. Because Dorado will eat a bomb. Dorado will eat anything. Dorado will eat that big uh, uh, cowbell as quick as uh, uh, Oahu will too, by the way. They'll, you'll catch a little of everything on that bait. But well, you're, when you start turning the handle and you feel pressure come on that thing, you have to keep pointing the rod at the fish or at the, at the line where it enters the water and keep turning the handle and turning the handle. Don't lift and try to feel the fish as soon as you do if you've got a wahoo. So just shake his head once and let that thing go and you're, you're toast. You've got to keep turning the handle against the pressure of the fish and let, let the fish do the work. If it's the right one, he's going to turn and then burn the opposite direction or at least run you around the boat a little bit uh, until you get him up to gaff. And if, as soon as you lift the rod and want to feel the fish a lot of times, that's when they shake their head because they've got these really exceptionally hard mouth and a row of teeth that's like a little bandsaw in there, and it's hard to get the hook in and keep it there. So if they come up behind, you want about at least 18 inches of wire on your bombs or on your iron so that the fish comes up behind uh, and turns, they don't just gut you off with their teeth uh, and hit the monofilament you're throwing. A lot of guys like to throw a, a piece of 100-pound mono uh, tied directly to the bait, and it makes it, or 100-pound fluorocarbon, some people like that too, but I don't think it makes a difference because they're eating the moving bait. But that'll get you, uh, especially when you're just throwing iron, that'll get you hooked up pretty good. Uh, if you're using too light, I wouldn't want use anything lighter than 50, that's for sure, uh, even with wired-up uh, baits, and then just throw and turn the handle. While you're out there, target the colors that the fish are eating, so you've got Wahoo that will eat your Dorado, so anything Dorado colors, that can be gold and green or, or blue and green and those colors, even you're uh, targeting that uh, Pacific mackerel is silver and green or silver and blue, it will be flying fish, you know, that they'll, they'll eat those too if there's a lot of them in the area. It, you're fishing purple and black, and that's your skipjack that's out there. And if you're around rock, I mean, that's the, the normal thing everybody pulls is orange and black, but that's a rudderfish uh, around the, the taller rock out there, the Lejos rocks or the top of the ridge, whatever else. So, you know, primary colors or whatever they're eating, you can be bonita or skipjack up here. I mean, orange and black, it works on Wahoo just because they're used to eating that. <laughs> and go and pull and have a great time. I, I would just as soon go out and target something. It, you, you don't have a chance to catch up here. Just like Wendy was saying, she did the, the swing around just looking for a Wahoo. And I think you can always catch something else, but I would just target that fish and have a blast trying. Now, Wendy, quickly... Uh... You were using live bait, and there's a product called, I think it's Tiger Wire, uh, that's great for live bait. Were you using that? No, I wasn't using live bait. I was trolling around all day long trying to look for that strike. Um, but, uh, you know, when I do need um, wire leader, 
Wahoo, it's better to use um, the, um, the single-strand wire. Um, or, you know, when pulling, then you use that the other wire. But the Tiger Leader, unless you get it up to um, probably the 90-pound range, it, it probably wouldn't wouldn't work as well. All right. But I like that stuff. That stuff works great for Barracuda. Right. There you go. <laughs> well, guys, that's uh, Wahoo 101. We're going to talk a little bit more about Wahoo because uh, – uh, one of our later guests, uh, Kevin uh, Matson, he was after Wahoo, but kind of got a surprise to what happened. There's a there's a lot more Ron Real Radio to come. Stan Vandenberg's with us. So is Wendy Toshar. I'm your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. But coming up next, what the heck is Phil thinking? You want to stay tuned? We'll be right back after these messages. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect, finally a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel specially heat treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, HM Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and to secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. 2015 and 16, Quantum Fishing's gone and done it again for you with a brand new redesigned Smoke PT Reel Series. Everything from your spinning reels all the way to your bait casters, the PTA design has the new PTXA frame, lighter, stronger, bone crushing drag. Quantum Fishing, we are performance tuned. Check them out at Angler's Arsenal in La Mesa or anglersarsenal.com or give us a call at 619 466 8355. 
This segment of Ron Real Radio is brought to you by the makers of the original balloon fishing clip system, Balloon Fisher King. Now you can fish the precise bait depth desired with these easy-to-use clips and 100% biodegradable natural latex balloons. All you do is clip, inflate, bait, and fish. Look for Balloon Fisher King clips and balloons at your local tackle dealers or go to balloonfisherking.com for further information. It's a big deal, you know. I've always wanted to be on Rod and Reel Radio Line. <laughs> <laughs> I won the Bassmaster Classic. I did a, a McDonald's commercial, but now I know I've made it. I fulfilled my dream. <laughs> that is just absolutely awesome. And we do want to welcome you back to Rod and Reel Radio. Stan Vandenberg's with me tonight. So is Wendy Toshihara. And now it's time for What the Heck is Phil Thinking? And here's the voice of PFO Radio, Phil Friedman. Phil, man, it feels like forever since I've talked to you last, but welcome to Sunday night again. Hey, I know I miss you, John and Wendy and Stan, and, of course, everybody out there. It's great to be back on live with you, and I hope you've had a great week, John. Uh, It was. uh, uh, I had a chance to go up in the Pacific Northwest. No fishing, but I had... uh, uh, Seven-year-old grand—I'm uh, sorry, seven-week-old grandkids to go visit. One boy, one girl, and it was a worthwhile experience. So, thanks for everyone for helping out with a pre-recorded show last week, so I could get a chance to do that. But Phil, what's been happening since we've been gone? John, there is so much good fishing going on right now. I mean, it is absolutely unbelievable. I just crossed the border just a couple hours ago, coming back from uh, down in Mexico. But I've gotten tuned up pretty well here, and i got to tell you, this bite is just getting better and better and better as we move into <laughs> October and now start to move deeper into it. You look at the new Seaforth, who just called in a moment ago, 315 yellowfin tuna on the three-quarter day boat and some skipjack to go along with it, but 315 YFT, and that is fabulous fishing. They may not be the biggest yellowfin in the world down that in that neck of the woods but it really doesn't matter when you're getting those kind of numbers and you have that kind of excitement on the boat because it is exciting i mean they hit that fish with a scoop of bait and the ocean blows up it turns white and these fish are zooming in and out you can see them swimming it looks like an aquarium as you look down in the water so really great fishing for many of the boys down there talking to buzz brizendine uh here recently also and buzz was telling me that not every kelp is holding. You really have to work hard to find that right kelp. But, man, when you find it, look out. It really is incredible. And there's marlin running around, and there's wahoo running around. So that San Diego bite is good. Now, a place where our fall bite is generally really, really good is Cortez and Tanner Bank. And, boy, it is living up to that kind of reputation. The Royal Polaris has been out there recently. Several hundred bigger yellowfin tuna. We're talking that. 15 to 35, 40-pound YFT biting out there in that nice. neck of the woods. Really great fishing out there. And the fall is when we normally get not only our best fishing out there, but our best weather. And while there has been some wind in and out of the equation, it has mostly been pretty darn nice. And that bite could go on and on and on. Could go right past January, John, the way I'm looking at things <laughs> with this water, as warm as it is. it just I mean, I don't know if the season will ever come to an end. And some people like Don Ashley down at Pierpoint Landing said, We'll run out of people before we run out of fish. I hope that's not the case either. I hope that people just keep enjoying this fantastic year. Who knows when we'll see another year like 2015. Now, the boats that are 
out of, well, from Oceanside all the way up to Oxnard are all kind of headed toward an area known as the Osborne Bank on the backside of Santa Barbara Island. Back there around that area, there's sonar marks, there's big areas of yellowfin tuna. There's some great yellowtail fishing on the bank itself. Most of the days it's yellowfin tuna and some other days it is not. Joey Gallagher is a private boater who just checked in with me a moment ago and sent me a Facebook picture, actually sent me a picture that I put on Facebook. You can see it right now on PFO, but he's holding a couple of really nice yellowfin tuna. Joey and his dad, Joe, from Gallagher Staging in La Mirada, do such a great job in terms of setting up uh, all kinds of scenarios like ACDC and even the Phil Friedman uh, booth at Fred Hall. So we're right up there with ACDC when we're working with the Gallaghers, but they are uh, really hard fishermen, and they ran out there to the Osborne Bank, and it looks like it paid off. Freedom was out there, and the tuna bite was down for him, but he had 123 nice yellowtail, had three marlin going at the same time. They were fighting three marlin at the very, very same time, and really, really good signal. Pursuit with 75 yellowfin tuna, El Dorado with good yellowtail fishing, missed the yellowfin and the bluefin out there, but for the most part, really excellent fishing, nice weather, and that weather up there, I mean that water temp up there is really beautiful now. Talking to the boat Exodus, who's a six-pack out of San Pedro, He's had several go-arounds here recently with marlin. One day out there by the oil rigs, he had a marlin going. Another day out by Catalina Island, a guy called into our Spanish radio show, actually, who told the story in Spanish about the exodus and a passenger that he knew fighting a really nice marlin. I believe it was a 153-pound striper for these waters. That's a pretty nice striper that they weighed in on the green pier over at Avalon. Uh, really great fishing, John. I mean, you listen to that score on the new Seaforth. You see what's going on out on Cortez. You see what's going on up there at Santa Barbara, and it's really great. Now, the local bite, and we're talking the 150, the 105, the Horseshoe area, that has been down lately. It just seems to be off the bite. The guys like Mitch Christensen, who runs the Southern Cal, and he's such a fine skipper and always feeds me straight info. That's why I love that guy as a source. If it's crummy fishing, he lets me know. If it's good fishing, he lets me know. One thing he keeps telling me over and over and over again is the amount of fish that he has seen. Not biting, but they're seeing a lot. And I can remember, and I don't even know if Mitch remembers, but about seven, eight months ago, he was singing that same tune about the local area, seeing tons of fish. These fish are acting kind of weird. They're not biting. And, man, that light switch went on about a week after he told me that, and it went for several months in a row on big, grade yellow tail. So I don't think that's out of the picture. Tons of bonita up and down the coast. Some really nice corvina fishing in the surf with some fairly decent halibut fishing at times. And I don't know what else to tell you, John. It's just really a remarkable. You know, you were talking a little earlier there. All right, Phil, are you still with us? I'm here, John. All right. Hey, sorry about that. Uh, uh, a little disconnect uh, music there. But as you were going, be, uh, Corbina in the surf and uh, some of the local activity? Yeah, I mean, the local surf fishing for a lot of guys has been really, really excellent. Also, some really good halibut fishing, throwing lucky craft type lures. That has been really, really good. There's even been Bonita surf. I think I told you about Bob Osborne and Tom Raftigan fishing the surf and catching Bonita. Here in Surfside, a lot of Corvina around right now. That's still looking really, really good. And in general, I mean, it's just been a remarkable year. 
and it doesn't seem like it's slowing down. There's still some blue marlin around. There's some wahoo catches being made. I've talked to several guys, a couple guys, Dave Dodge and Eddie Leland. A lot of your listeners will know those guys. They're both old-time Southern California sport boat operators. They're retired, and they're doing other things now. But they went, and they focused in on wahoo. Actually, it was Dave Dodge who said, we're going to catch a wahoo tomorrow to Eddie Leland. And Eddie said, yeah, okay, Dave, whatever you say. <laughs> and out they went. They put the wired-up marauders out, and it was like 45 minutes, John, and wham, lightning struck, a big hoo for those guys. They had a nice skin on the boat, and it's just been that kind of a year. I mean, you, you go out and you purposely focus on catching a wahoo out of Southern California, out of Orange County, and you actually get one. And that is not a flash in the pan. I've talked to four or five guys who've done it that. They've had a game plan. They've had a vision, and they got to realize it. And that is something that's really, really special. You know, this is going to get down kind of like 2005 when we got those. All of a sudden, we figured out where those big fish were down below. Those tuna, all of a sudden, you could target 200-pound tuna, and you could go get them. Uh, and, and you got more than one when you were down there. Now, I mean, we're, these guys that are fishing, they've got the opportunity. You know, they're going to be spoiled again with from 2015 here when you go out and instead of targeting, you know, some small barracuda and some barracuda on a three-quarter-day boat, you're limiting out on yellow, yellow fin and yellow tail and maybe dorado or whatever on a three-quarter-day trip. And they've gotten a chance at a wahoo to boot. I mean, just because it's that type of a season where the fish are up here and people are really going to get spoiled here, um, especially if this continues into next year, which it looks like it might. So... It, it's just great for the opportunities for the people that want a chance to go out and, and go fishing. It's still out there, you know, on a one-day trip. You can catch, you know, fish your lifetime at this point. No doubt about it. And, you know, all the new people that are coming into the sport as a result of this, i got to think that it's having a positive influence on people coming into the sport fishing you game. Bet. All of this great fishing. And you're absolutely right, Stan. It is so good. I don't see an end in sight. I mean, possibly if uh, we get a whole bunch of rain from the El Nino, uh, maybe that would be the thing that could spell the end of this thing. But other than that, I don't see anything that's going to slow it down. And I still think there's more surprises in our future. I mean, there's been whale sharks that have shown up down near San Diego. Who knows what could possibly be next? I just know one thing, that it has been a remarkable year, and it keeps going on. I was walking around a place called Popola, just south of Rosarito Beach, and watching some of the fish that they had brought in, Dorado, and looking at all these weird, I mean, you know, just surreal. I felt like I was walking through a fish camp down more toward Todos Santos near Cabo San Lucas or yeah, something like yeah. that, but this was right there in Rosarita Beach, and looking at all these great catches, Yellowfin tuna, Dorado, and all this stuff as the Pongaro fleet came in just yesterday afternoon. Really neat stuff. Well, I was down at Todos Santos two days ago, and, uh, and there, there were probably 15 to 20 Boats out there, both jig boats and even the saners were out there getting bait. It was plentiful, uh, and wrapping the small tuna that were down there uh, that they could that they could find. But the activity level all up and down the coast of Baja is pretty pretty intense. There's there's just a lot of movement of the fish. Um, it's going to be an exciting year to see how the long range boats are, are are going to proceed as we go through that. I know that they've already gotten some pretty good scores down below. So watching this stuff push up, it continues to go. 
And like you were saying, I just don't see it slowing down a whole lot right now until we get some weather change, uh, or maybe rain will push push it around a little bit, and, and at some point in time it might cool it off around here when we have uh, what we what we would call our winter. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Phil, Stan, and, and Wendy, you know, we've talked about so many unusual catches of fish with the wahoo and the marlin and and everything like that, but I think if 2015 is going to be known for anything, it's going to be the year of the success of the three-quarter-day boats. No because kidding. when you look at the numbers on those three-quarter-day boats, what maybe used to be a somewhat of a maligned ride going out on a three-quarter-day boat has now been the boat to go on to, to load up on fish. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. I think that's a great point. I, I, I think you could extend that into a lot of the half-day boats that, uh, yeah. you know, go out and they've been catching yellowfin tuna. Or if they're not catching yellowfin tuna, there was a time where the Southern Cal was running off 60, 80, 100 big Cedros Island-style yellows yeah. every day for months upon months upon months. The Enterprise, uh, all these guys just running off these big scores. And, John, you're so right. And that puts it right in the wheelhouse of the average guy. It puts it in his uh, right. in his economic zone. It puts it in his comfort zone. And it gets more people out there catching exotic fish and hooks them for a lifetime. And the other great thing about 2015, as far as I'm concerned, all the doom and gloom that we always hear about fishing is never going to be the way it was. And when I, you know, I, me, me and my big mouth, you know, I'm, I was uh, deckhand on the, my mascot for and we had bluefin tuna right off the topaz rock jetty. I'm starting to sound like one of those guys myself, and talking like those days will never, ever come back. And here it is, 2015, and I've never seen a better year than this. It, it dispels the doom and gloom stuff, number one. And it also, you know, a lot of people tell you that uh, fisheries are in trouble and everything else, and I am not opposed to being a conservationist, and I'm not opposed to doing and having fishing regulations. But, boy, it sure opens our minds up to cycles and how the ocean works and how the oceanography is different. And, you know, the fact that we don't have any albacore around here for several years now doesn't mean there's no albacore. It just means that the oceanography isn't really right for them. And, and I think it's been a learning experience and a good way for everybody. Well, you know, oceans, oceans change, currents change. Uh, I mean, the, the, the effect of the El Nino just changes the current and changes the warm water around, pushes this way. It's a wind thing that that comes from Africa, blows across to South America, and pushes water. And that can change in a heartbeat and go different directions, and we can get a cold, cold winter, and next thing you know, we got cold water up against the beach, and we'll see Albacore again. I mean, there you know are went for like years. To... Go ahead, Wynn. Um, I really like to see, um, when I'm out there fishing, like today, you stop on a kelp paddy, and you see a bunch of little tiny yellowtail. The yellowtail and dorado are, are really tiny, and even the tuna. So they must be reproducing somewhere nearby, which is great. And, and also, with this, with all these fish here, it gives our sculpin sand bass and calicos a rest. So who knows when, when we start fishing for those again. I mean, we might have a four- or six-pound sculpin. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, Phil, the uh, season of 2015 continues, and... You have been masterfully scoping it out for us, keeping us updated on what's happening. For those folks that want to find out during the week what you're doing, what's the latest, uh, what's on your blog, uh, uh, you know, want to listen to the Spanish broadcast, uh, what's 
a best, how's the best way to go about doing that? Thank you so much, John. Go to pfomedia.com, and you'll be able to figure out all of our English coverage. We have captains calling in every day, constant updates, and uh, our, our English radio show. And you can go to PFO also on Facebook. Or if you want to listen in Spanish, we're on every Friday night at 9, Sunday mornings at 6, a.m. 690. You can go to Facebook, Aventuras al Aire Libre, or you can go to www.aventurasalairelibre.com and get all the latest there also, John. You know, Phil, we're all going to have to get together and uh, get bent a little bit, so let's do it before this uh, tremendous fight ends. Uh, Thanks a lot for giving up some of your Sunday night to be with us. Thank you, John. Go Irish. Thank you, Stan. Go. Thank you, Wendy. Go Wendy, too. And thanks, everybody. It's always a pleasure to be with all of you. <laughs> Our pleasure. You know, one thing that happened with this season, John, is that what Phil was talking about is the average three-quarter angler had to upgrade his tackle to keep oh, up Oh, man. <laughs> you know, you go over to Fisherman's Landing uh, tackle or you go over to H&M or whatever it is, they've all upgraded I know when I went out with uh, Bill Semitel here a couple of weeks ago, we went over to H&M, and they had just received a big load of Avet LX reels. And, boy, now when you go on out there, you get a seeker rod, you get an Avet reel. It's on 30-pound test. One of the kids, Stan Kaplan, that went with us, he caught seven fish on that rental rod, and he was happier than a pig with its feet in the trough. So, man, it's a great season, and you're right, Stan. You've got to have better gear to go out there and give yourself a chance with these fish. Hey, guys, let's break right now. Uh, this is Rod and Reel Radio on AM540 or at roddenreelradio.com. Stan Vandenberg, Wendy, and myself will be back after these messages. Angler's Arsenal is the serious angler's first choice for hand-poured plastics, McCoy line, Spro products, Gamakatsu hooks, G. Loomis fishing rods, Shimano products, Ovid reels, and just about anything you hear advertised on Rod and Reel Radio. Go to anglersarsenal.com and visit our online tackle store. See the huge selection of Western Plastics hand-poured baits, all at anglersarsenal.com. Angler's Arsenal Tackle Store is conveniently located in La Mesa, just off Interstate 8. Give us a call at 1-800-428-8730. If you're serious about your fishing, choosing the right tackle is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. Iserline makes premium fishing lines including monofilament, Dacron, Spectra, fluorocarbon, battle-tested harnesses, and top-angler-tested Iserline tools and accessories. Iserline premium fishing products are created to provide you with the ultimate in strength, dependability, durability, high abrasion resistance, low stretch, and high quality. All Iserline products are 100% guaranteed against manufacturing defects. You just can't buy better value. Iserline will replace or repair at their option. No questions asked if you're not pleased with any of their products. Catch what you've been missing. Quality guaranteed. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. My Angler H2O. I will scent my lure with pride. And hope my boss doesn't notice the tan. I will outmaneuver drought-exposed sunken boats and outlast the hard-fighting largemouth bass. 
I will save water at home for better fishing out here. And always, always wear my life jacket. What's your H2O? Tell us at BoatCalifornia.com. The California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways reminds you to wear it, California. This portion of Rod and Reel Radio is brought to you by the Rockley's Fish Release System. Now you can quickly and easily release fish suffering from barotrauma back to the depths they were caught. Look or ask for the Rockley's at your local fishing tackle dealer. And Southern California, welcome back to Rod and Reel Radio. You know, if you were listening last week, we had Billy Chapman on from Angler's Inn. And Billy talked about his new operation in Canada. He talked about the new operation in the Amazon. He's got a new uh, operation just opening up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And then, obviously, two operations down just outside of Mazatlan, Mexico, at El Salto and Picachos. And there's going to be a few of us from San Diego that are going to be leaving in the middle of November to go down and visit with Billy at El Salto and Picacho. If you'd like to be part of that trip, just get a hold of me here at Rod and Reel Radio. Go to Facebook. Uh, uh, get on uh, the, the Rod and Reel Radio site. Send me an email. If you want to be part of that, you want to find out what's happening, get the prices, what the itinerary is, just give me a call. I can tell you it is going to be like a freshwater bass trip that you've never seen before. Well, hey, it's now time for the icon himself with the Southern California Inshore Report, Captain James Nelson. Captain James, welcome to the show. How has this past week gone for you? It's been great, John. How are you doing? Hey, we are <laughs> doing great over here. Just kind of getting wound up again because we were out of the area, and truthfully, I wasn't 100% into what was happening again, but when I start seeing these numbers on the sports boats and see what some of the private boaters are doing and keep on looking at those pictures that you post on Facebook, how can you not get fired up about the 2015 season, especially as it continues here through mid-October? I'm telling you, John, it's been awesome. But you know what? You know, you're doing that grandparent thing pretty well, too. So congratulations <laughs> there, my friend. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I'm only going to get one crack at it, so I've got to get it done right. Thanks a lot, Jim. Appreciate it. Uh, but uh, tell me, you know, I've seen some pictures from private boaters that have gone out to La Jolla or off our local kelp, and they have videotaped acres and acres of bait being pushed up almost out of the water, rippling across the water, waving as fish below them are are um, are, are, are just uh, devouring them. I, I can't believe how this bite is still going out there. It, it's, it's pretty insane, you know, and uh, we've been uh, very fortunate to experience some of that. Um, especially when you when you throw out there, and you you'd like to assume most of it is Benita doing that, and then next thing you know, you get something and you're surprised. It's like, what in the world is this? And you know, it could be a yellowtail or a no seal. Unfortunately, too many of those, but uh, you you never know what's under there. But there definitely is a lot of bait getting pushed around, and you know, the Benita, of course, are always fun. Oh, great! Yeah, uh, tell us, you know. How is our offshore fishing, our immediate kelp fishing? I mean, is the action still in La Jolla? Is it off Point Loma, or, or where where have you been going? 
Well, this week didn't put me offshore too much. We went out uh, a little bit the other day, uh, had a guy who we were really looking for a blue shark. And, you know, typical shark fishing down here is, you know, when you want to, when you want to go get a mako, you go out, get on your shark drift, and all these blue sharks show up. When you want to get a blue shark, you go out there, get on your shark drift, and all the makos show up. So, typical stuff. But uh, that's about all the offshore stuff. And even that, you know, we're talking nine mile or in. You know, we're not super offshore. But most of uh, what we've been doing saltwater wise has been the kelp. And the most amazing thing that I've seen happen over the last week and a half of, of uh, fishing our kelp has been. You get out there, what, a couple weeks ago, uh, and on that deeper uh, kelp line is where you found your better fish, and uh, around what we call the bull kelp, usually it's anywhere between 85 and 105 feet, uh, anywhere along our kelp, whether it be La Jolla or Point Loma. But lately, that's been where we've been getting a lot of three to five pounders, and the bigger ones are right in the kelp. I mean, we're actually seeing some yellowtail cruising in like 30 feet of water, and uh, you get them in the kelp, and if you don't have that 50-pound braid, 40-pound fluorocarbon combo or bigger, you're not going to get them out because they're so deep in that 60 to 75-foot kelp range. And as soon as they bite, they're down in that kelp, and you got to really work your, your best to get them out. You know, Jim, I've got to agree with you. I, I can't think of a fish that pulls harder right in the beginning than the yellowtail, and you know that right when they bite, they're off somewhere. And if there's kelp nearby, they're getting into it. And if you don't have, as you say, that uh, uh, that braided line on, you're not going to bring that fish in. You're going to be uh, in the weeds. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And even even with the braid, I mean, even if you got your drag hunkered, I mean, they're still going to get you a, a good foot or two in there and it really pays off to have a real short floral leader. These fish are, are almost not line shy. It's almost like they're trying to prove a point, just how mean they are. Because you can get away with either 40-pound fluorocarbon. I wouldn't doubt you could probably get away tying straight to braid. But, I, think, uh, I was going to say, I think, you know, you do straight 65-pound braid, and then I don't think you need fluorocarbon. If you're going to use something, maybe 50-pound, or you could even use 60-pound, a little tiny piece. Yeah, yeah, line, really short. It's, yeah. Just, it's just for, uh, I think, easier, easier tie on the hook, and, and you want to do something that you're not going to cut your fingers on because you can't grab, grab braid with your hand unless you're taped up good. When it gets up close to the boat or you're even trying to get it off your hook. Um, yeah. But, but you'll feel even, and you got to have a real little handle, a heavy drag, too. You need something that will actually stop them. Uh, just because you can put that line on a, Real doesn't necessarily made it mean it's made for that because when you hang that fish, just like Jim was saying, there's that first few minutes, man. They're they're going to turn their head and they're headed for the rock and the kelp. And and if they can get both of them, they're going that direction, trying to turn them and get get their nose up is the toughest part. And then when they get into the kelp, it it'll do that thing where all of a sudden it starts to run and your rod, your rod just goes pop, just like you broke your line. And you go, oh, man, I lost them. Turn the handle again. Because a lot of times they just sawed that thing, the, the, the kelp stock off, and it just yeah. through the kelp, and you're still on that fish, hook still in them. He hadn't gone anywhere. You just got to get keep it turning on the handle, and you'll pop maybe three or four times before you get it clear and, and get it close to the boat. Yeah, that's absolutely it. And it's, and it's just 
freaky fight. It's just something that, you know, <laughs> for a lot of my visitors, I get guys up and down California that are kind of used to these, these type of fish, but when I get someone that's used to fishing for walleye or brook trout, you know, it's something that just, it's, it's such an eye-opener to them. It's just how mean these fish can be. Wow. You know, and we're, we're only talking about uh, a high-teener, 20-pound fish that, that's fighting like that. Uh, you get a fish that starts uh, going into the 30- or 40-pound range, and you can almost triple that with a fight that you get with that uh, yellowtail. Great fighting fish. But, you know, Jim, a lot of your clients and still a lot of people listening to the show want to hear about what's happening in our bay and and what is happening there right now as we get into mid-October time. The bay is starting to get better. We're starting to do uh, get more bay bookings. Um, you know, the bay, is it's a funny pickle because if, if you're not on it a lot, especially this time of year, Things can change on you, and, uh, you know, you can't just... This is one of those years, John, that I can't just pull out an old almanac or pull out an old book and read my old notes because nothing is falling uh, along according to book. And so it's it's the kind of thing where I've been fortunate this week. I've had about six trips in the last couple of weeks, and four of them were this week alone where we were in the bay. So it gave me a real good chance to, to relearn it. And some of the things that we're finding are just... They're so off the wall, like I said, so out of the books. We're catching fish uh, really deep. Uh, we're catching some of the bay bass shallow, but we're catching some of the fish that we normally would catch in 25 foot of water, like some of the sharks, rays, and even uh, the bonefish that are normally shallower than that. We're starting to catch some of these fish deeper. We're getting, you know, just just the weirdest things, you know, deep, and it's just it's crazy. And I'm and I'm talking like 40 feet way out in the middle of the channel type of. Uh, looking over your shoulder, make sure a cruise boat's not coming by you while you're fishing type deep. And it's just, it's Jimmy, weird. Do you think that's fishing. maybe part uh, of oxygenated water and cooler water that they're going to, to during the maybe the tide flow when it's not there or when things get stagnated a little bit, especially with this hot weather? Absolutely. I, 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 I have to think that that's, that's a lot of it. I mean, this last week we caught uh, we caught bat rays and uh, butterfly rays out in areas where I almost never fish them. I mean, I I not in a long time. So because we were there and because the things were different, gave a shot. And sure enough, we started catching fish there. But you know, it's almost like I I just have to rethink things. So I would highly suggest that anybody that goes out and you know, if you're looking for a particular type of fish that's not where you're looking for them. He's in that bay. He didn't just, you know, hightail and go on vacation. He's in that bay somewhere. Just start start thinking the, the weirdest places for him, and, and you just may find that fish. It's weird. <laughs> so, Jim, for the uh, the back bay, uh, all those areas that are uh, south of, uh, let's say, the Coronado Bridge, uh, has that become less productive area, or are you concentrating more on the uh, the deeper water area because that's where you actually have been finding the success in the variety. Well, it, again, it, you know, Stan hit it pretty much on the head thinking like a freshwater fisherman. A lot of it has to do with that water movement, oxygenated water. When we got a good wind blowing, that back bay is still pretty good in some of the usual spots. But when that wind's not blowing, that water's almost 80 degrees, and it's just having current and tide flow is not good enough. So uh, on those Yes, we're, we're going out uh, where we normally would catch fish, say, on 
eight, nine-foot flats. We're going near any drop-off, any holes that, uh, that normally we would find, like, say, maybe sharks or even mackerel to make bait on. We're actually finding a lot of the predator uh, scavenger-type fish that we would normally catch, the, a lot of the shrimp gobblers, out in spots where you wouldn't even expect a shrimp to be. So it's, it's making you curious as to why they're there. And then you look down in the water, look at the conditions, a lot of finger mullet, a lot of uh, pinhead anchovies, and uh, we're even catching some weird fish under birds. That, yeah, it's just it's hard to explain, you know. Because uh, not all these fish, you know, we're popping up pictures of, but it's it, it's just hard to explain the way the conditions are. And like I said, it's just so different. Uh, squid, shrimp, a lot of those cut meats that we normally would use aren't working nearly as good as, say, spoons, Castmaster spoons and, you know, just uh, things that, it's weird. When you get a guitar fish on a, on a Castmaster, you'll understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> I've seen one. <laughs> it's just as you're talking, it reminds me of a friend of mine named Gary Shelby, old guy that, that uh, I think he came up with one of the wisdoms of bass fishing. He goes, Stan, when, you know, when you're just confounded and scratching your head, he goes, when you're fishing where they are and they ain't, go fish where they ain't and that's where they are. <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> hey, uh, Captain Jim Nelson, uh, the fish icon. Uh, we're interested in going out on a bay trip, uh, uh, heading out out into our uh, local uh, waters. Uh, how's a good way to get a hold of you, find out what your schedule is, and book a trip? Well, they could always reach me online, and I know there's that link on Rotten Reel Radio. That's pretty cool. Um, or check me out. Get me on phone, either call or text, 619-395-0799. All right, Captain James Nelson, great report. We look forward to speaking to you next week, and we'll probably have a chance to speak to you during the week, too. Thanks a lot for being with us tonight. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. All, All right. right. Take care, Jimmy. Hey, and, and just quickly for uh, uh, the fellas that are texting me wanting uh, an update on what's happening with San Vicente. Last thing I heard, it looks like uh, where a few months ago they were talking about San Vicente opening up in November. Now it looks like more in the February range with regards to what you're going to do or how you're going to be able to get on it. Sounds like it's going to be a Ticketmaster type of a deal. Still don't have the final resolution on that, but I will get that information for you. I can tell you also that uh, tournament directors have been told that uh, they're going to let the um, the recreational fishermen fish on that lake for a few months before they start running tournaments, and uh, that when uh, the uh, tournament directors do finally get together, they'll get them all in the group like we do for a jamboree and pick the dates that we'll be running events on. So right now the last word I heard was uh, maybe in the uh, February range, uh, so... Uh, Stay tuned. We'll keep you updated what's happening on San Vicente. Hey, this is Rod Real Radio on AM 540 or at com. Coming up next, Jim Salazar, Master Recreational Lobster Hooper and Pro Staffer for Promar Products. Stan, Wendy, and I will be back after these messages.
You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect. Finally, a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, H&M Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. My Angler H2O. I will never use that fakey fluorescent pink bait or drag my hula popper through the mud. I will outmaneuver drought-exposed stumps, rocks, and submerged station wagons and outsmart the ravenous river otter. I will save water by taking shorter showers for higher lakes and I will always, always wear my life jacket. What's your H2O? Tell us at BoatCalifornia.com. The California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways reminds you to wear it, California. Guano Fishing's got something for everybody. From the smallest angler to the oldest veteran, we can get you out there fishing with the greatest reels on the market today. From the all-new for 2016 Icon PT to the Tour Mag to the brand-new redesigned Smoke Reel, we've got something for everyone in your family. Have some fun. Take a kid fishing. They're the future of our sport. Quantum, we are performance-tuned. You can get your quantum products at anglersarsenal.com or anglersarsenal in the Mesa at 619-466-8355. Hi, this is BSS record holder Dean Rojas. El Cajon Ford helped me when I got started in my career and let them help you with a new F-Series Ford truck. And remember, nobody beats El Cajon Ford. And Southern California, we do want to welcome you back to Ron Real Radio. You know, Stan and Wendy, we're talking about how unique this uh, uh, the season is. Wendy, did you ever think that you'd actually be going on out and saying, "Hey, we've caught a lot of the fish we can catch this year. Let's go out and see if we can target a wahoo." Yeah, you know, it's it's just been such a such a crazy year. You know, and, and I, I was able to get my OPA a couple years ago, and, you know, I've got it in my head now. I've never actually caught a Wahoo, but I want a U.S. caught Wahoo. No kidding. I want one in L.A. County. 
<laughs> yes, I want a 714 Wahoo. That's right, a 213 Wahoo. <laughs> <laughs> hey, JR, do we have our next guest yet? No, it sounds like he's still trying to, to get So let me it. ask Wendy, what, you, what were you trolling? What were you guys dragging around out there? Um, we had an orange and black marauder. We had a black and purple marauder. We had a marlin jig, and we had a feather. Wow. You know, that covered the, the, the whole spectrum. I like that. Yeah, you know, guys, I figured, you know what? Oh, yeah, go ahead, John. What I want to know, though, is that we've talked about how the El Nino and the warm weather, how it's affected the fishing for all of our pelagics and our coastal uh, fish. You know, we just had the lobster season open up a little uh, more than a week ago. And I was wondering, man, is this warmer water trend with better fishing, is it going to translate over to the recreational lobster hooping? So what better guy to ask about that and to talk a little bit about recreational lobster hooping than Promar's number one pro staff guy, Mr. Jim Salazar. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Was that Wendy I heard talking about? Uh, yeah. Zookers? It I mean, sure talking was. about uh, Hello, marauders? <laughs> yes, that was me. <laughs> Did you hook up on any of those marauders? No, but I'm putting my time in. <laughs> That's what it seems to take, either that or some real good luck. <laughs> so, Jim, I want to know if you're catching any of the uh, Australian spiny lobsters yet. No, I haven't seen any of those, but every once in a while we, see, we do see a main one out there. <laughs> you know, Whoa. Now that's, Jim, that's, good. that's what I hear, but I understand that the the people that catch them that they're normally getting the main in the deeper water. Is that, is that what you found too? Um, it seems like it, but I think that just happens to be circumstance in that um, a lot of them are released from the Redondo Pier um, when people buy them for uh, the the Buddhists buy them to release them. Okay. And, and the Redondo Pier just happens to be right by the end of the uh, Redondo Canyon. So I think that's the reason any local ones that I've ever heard about caught up here were always caught in deeper water. Wow. And any of the ones that you have heard caught, have there been any size to them? Because, you know, normally when we go into a restaurant and you get a lobster that's a main lobster, I, I've got to tell you, it doesn't seem like it's quite as plentiful as our, uh, you know, Pacific Coast uh, spiny lobster. Um, I, you know, they probably hammer those things so much that they just, you know, let them get to legal size and that's about it. Plus, most of the commercial guys' traps are set up for... Uh, you know, a, a certain size that's easily transportable and sellable. They don't want to get too big a lobster. It's not too easy to sell a big lobster all the time. Well, I don't think that's the case with the recreational guys, do you? <laughs> no, we've been enjoying some really big lobsters. Uh, the last few years, uh, Long Beach is, uh, and uh, San Pedro uh, Harbors, the inner har- and outer harbors there, have put out some amazing-sized lobsters, 12, 14-pounders. That's a big one. When you say the harbor, are you uh, you know fishing right along the breakwater, or um, are there other uh, you know uh, pieces of structure inside the harbor itself where you can also fish in and get lobster? You know, I'm not that crazy about Long Beach Harbor myself, just because um, the EPA has only been around a few years, and you know you catch a, a 12 pound or 10 pound lobster, and that guy's probably well over 40 or 50 years old, so. You know, he was around long before the EPA, so who knows what he's collected in his uh, in his body? You know? <laughs> I understand that. So, 
Well, you know, again, the first question is, you know, we've, we're over a week into the season. Uh, how's it going? Is it as good as we thought it would be, or has there been some disappointment there? You know, I think this year is very, very, very similar to what happened last year. Um, it seems like there might be a few more legals caught at the beginning of the season in the southern sector, being uh, southern Orange County and uh, San Diego County. Um, it seems like there seems to be a lot more lobsters being caught this year, but it may just be a, um, uh, a an early season kind of a thing. And um, I, you know, I have a feeling later in the season, as we get going here, that it's going to you know I'm going to hear be hearing about a lot of shorts from Mission Bay and San Diego Bay and uh, and Dana Point, places like that, where the commercial guys are are either, you know, active in the area or waiting right outside of it with their picket line right outside of San Diego Bay there. Well, you know, the uh, report that I've heard from, like, Pat Doherty, who is running uh, uh, the Alicia and the Jig Strike for Sea Adventure Sports Fishing on their lobster uh, hooping, uh, you know, uh, trips into San Diego Bay, yeah, they are they are getting their limits, but, man, they're also going through a lot of shorts. It just seems to be... A lot of shorts. Uh, could it be that uh, this warmer uh, uh, water, too, has allowed them to proliferate a little bit better? Well, traditionally, the warmer water has them molting more often and eating uh, and being a lot more active, um, uh, both sexually, reproductive-wise, and also just out there eating and, and uh, being active. So, you know, I think you're going to have a lot more uh, those smaller lobsters that, you know, they got that 15% or so larger with that molt and made the, made the size. But I think you're still going to have a whole bunch of shorts, especially, uh, like I say, later in the season. I think they're going to be really going through a lot of them right now. Um, the, the northern sector seems a little bit better, uh, Channel Islands, um, uh, Santa Monica Bay. Uh, Catalina sounds really good, really good over there too. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that Facebook picture of Brandon Hayward with his two uh, wahoo, one of them up to eighty pounds, and then a, a couple of limits of lobsters next to their heads. It was a great you picture, know, only in Southern California in an El Nino. Right. <laughs> good for Brandon. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We all well, gotta you know, get... Brandon does also run professional guide trips for lobster hooping out to. Uh, uh, the Catalina Islands, so it, it's a good thing for him, for sure. Yeah, one-man charters. He's, uh, he's, I've been pushing some of my work over his way because I have to have a uh, an eye operation, so I'm, I haven't been doing uh, scheduling any guided trips early this season yet. I may do some at the end of the season if, if I get everything done, but uh, I've got to have some eye surgery, so I'm uh, kind of laying off the guided stuff early this season. But uh, it looks like it's going to be a good season. I just put my money down on a slip today over in King Harbor, and I'll put the boat in the water tomorrow, and I just got to put some ropes together that were about 70 feet long, and I put some longer, about 160s, 150s together to go experiment a little bit and look a little bit deep. I've been using that Ace Line hauler, and I'll tell you, that thing is such a dream. Oh, my gosh. They have a new device called a Bulldog that is a little spring-loaded device where you load your rope on there, and then you activate this spring-loaded device, and it literally coils 150 or 200 feet of rope right at your feet. Wow. Really? It's amazing. <laughs> Man, and you're not I, pulling? I mean, this is something that pulls for you? Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's Ace Line Hauler. The Canadian guys make it, and it's, uh, they're, it, they make it for pulling uh, shrimp uh, and uh, prawn traps and crab traps up in the northern area up there. 
Um, but uh, they work great. It works great down here. They put a faster motor on it for down here, so it's 150 feet a minute. Wow. So most people, when you start pulling, you can pull about 150, almost uh, you know 170 uh, feet a minute. But after the first 30 or 40 feet, you start to slow down. After 60 or 70 <laughs> you feet, you really slow down. <laughs> well, Jim, let's start talking a little bit about what you are pulling. Obviously, uh, Promar is the number one name in recreational lobster hoops. Uh, let's just talk about the the three main ones that they have. And, and tell us about those hoops. And Do they work better in some situations than in other situations? Yeah, they do. Um, there's, we basically have three types of hoops, um, uh, or uh, two types of hoops. One is the conical and one is the flat or conventional style, classic style net. That flat one sits down on the bottom, um, and the lobsters and crabs easily crawl in and out. But as easily as they get crawl in, they get scared out. So with that one, you want to do a shorter soak time, and they tend to be more efficient in shallower waters, waters 50 feet or shallower. Um, they tend to be uh, fairly efficient because you can pull really fast for those first 50 feet or so. Um, whereas the conical-style nets with those raised sides, the lobsters and crabs have to crawl up and over into them. So I like to leave those down a little longer. The flat nets, 15 minutes to a half hour. Uh, the conical styles, anywhere from a half hour to up to two hours is the maximum that fishing game allows you to have a soak. So uh, sometimes you want to leave those conical-style nets down because the lobsters aren't the sharpest knives in the kitchen drawer, and I've watched them walk away from those things because they can't figure out how to get inside them. So <laughs> uh, you've got to give them a little bit of time with those conical-style nets. And we've got two sizes. We've got one that's a, a 36-inch diameter called the Eclipse, and it's a collapsible-style net. A lot of guys that go to the island or go fishing like to use those, use those so they can have them collapse during the day or, or you know, when they're fishing. And then at night when they go hooping, they can, uh, you know, lift up the legs and, and put a zip tie down on the bottom and lock that thing in there and, and have, a, you know, have a, a conical-style net that was easy to store during the day. And that's about a 36-inch diameter net. And then we have a newer net that came out a few years ago that's called the Ambush, and it's a... It's a rigid, upright-style net, but it's only a 32-inch diameter. So I've been using that one a lot more because I do so much of my... Uh, I've been on the Hobie kayak team for the last two years, and I've been doing a lot of Hobie uh, kayaking um, with my pro angler out there on the uh, deeper spots. I've actually mounted a uh, Scotty uh, uh, power puller because it's a pretty compact unit on one of my uh, pro anglers, and I use that out there when I use those longer ropes. Now, that's got to uh, be kind of a... Uh, a different thing because the kayak. I mean, the the tipability comes in there a little bit when you when you've got that kind of weight pulling on one side, or how do you you do it off the bow? How do you work that? We're talking about a pro angler. These things are almost forty inches wide, and they're fourteen to twelve foot foot long. So there's plenty of stability in those things, especially for a little guy like me. You know, I can dance around that little that little kayak. Uh, but yeah, you have to be aware of it um, when when you're pulling. Here's a tip: if you're pulling um, on your kayak. Um, pull from the left side if you're right-handed. Uh, pull from the right side if you're left-handed. That way, with your dominant hand, you get a good long pull of the rope rather than just a short little pull. If you're pulling from the right side and you're right-handed, you just get a little short little pull of strength. This way, if you're pulling on the left side, you can pull it over the kayak. Um, but, yeah, those conical nets are great. Deeper water, anywhere from 50 feet to 200 feet. Um, and uh, later in the season, and if this season matches last season, 
the lobsters are going to be mixed all over the depths like they were last year. When I started last year, I started the second week of October, and I put 200-foot lines on as an experiment, and I was catching lobsters in really deep water right off the bat. So they were all mixed up last year. They were in shallow water. They were in deep water. So it pays to, to look around. Uh, Jim, why does it seem like uh, the crawl is better, let's say, after a front goes through or some stormy weather? Uh, is that my imagination, or is that uh, pretty much the consensus of opinion? Uh, there's two reasons that I think uh, there there are for that. One is uh, with the cloudiness of the water, the lobsters feel a lot more protection in the water. Um, that's why they wait for um, moonless nights, generally, in shallower water because they don't want to be um, out there and uh, have the, uh, the predators, um, the uh, octopus, the um, sheephead, um, you know, the, the bigger fish, um, out there able to get them, because um, they really don't have any kind of protective method other than the cover of darkness or uh, the cover of the cloudiness of the water. And then the other reason is there's a lot more food out there for these scavengers. You know, they are cockroaches del mar, so... Once you get all that food suspended out in the water and you have a storm and you get a lot more junk floating around out there, they're going to have a lot more choices. So when you're actually talking about lobsters on a crawl, we've seen lobsters line up in a line and they're following each other. It isn't like they're necessarily going from point A to point B. They're just actually going out and covering an area for food. And then do they normally go back to the same area? Um, you know, I, I, that... Uh, phenomenon I've seen pictures of, but I, I don't know that it's a Southern California phenomenon. I know our lobsters tend to be in shallower water early in the season and late in the season. When the water gets rougher and colder, they tend to move out into the deeper water. Um, but, um, you know, once you find a spot, uh, rocks don't move. You're going to find lobsters in that spot all the time. I mean, even if you, I've seen some some guy, some diver friends that happen to have, have found a couple of uh, dock boxes or file cabinets that have mysteriously found their way into the ocean, <laughs> and they'll go to that same spot every year, and it's always refilling with lobsters. So, you know, once you take those lobsters out of that structure, and there's an empty structure there, or, you know, there's smaller lobsters in that structure, you're going to have some other guys moving in there trying to fill up those, you know, those, those empty apartments. All right. Hey, we, uh, Jim, uh, a lot more questions we need to ask you. Can you stay on for another segment? I'd love to keep talking to you guys. All right. <laughs> Jim Salazar, uh, he's the uh, senior pro staff member for uh, Promar. Also, he's an exceptional recreational lobster hoop, hoopster himself. This is Stan, Wendy, and Hopalong. We're on Ron Real Radio on AM 540 or at com. Stay tuned. A lot more show to come. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. 
H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, H&M Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. Hey, everybody. This is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fish at Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization, but you just don't know who to contact? Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419, or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419 or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. Captain Chris Randall from Chief Sports Fishing. And Captain Chris, tell us about what's happening on the Chief now that the tuna season is upon us. It's here and it's time to go on the Chief. For those that are not familiar with the vessel, she's an 85 by 24 deluxe sport fisher that offers a wide variety of open party trips ranging from one to five days in length. We're also available for private group charters. The Chief's onboard anemones include a fully remodeled galley with comfortable seating for 25, twin flat screen TVs with hundreds of movies, two roomy indoor heads with fresh hot water showers, stateroom and open berthing areas, an impressively large deck area, 200 scoop bait capacity, we have twin six ton spray brine fish holds to keep your catch fresh, and our professional courteous crew will go the extra mile to make your trip a memorable one. To view our schedule, log on to H&M Landing at www.hmlanding.com or feel free to give them a call at 619-222-1144. You can also follow us on Facebook. Facebook and at our webpage at chiefsportfishing.com. Hi, my name is Dennis Green, and I always love to talk about fishing. When I want the real information, I go to Rod and Real Radio. Those guys are who I thought they were. And we do want to welcome you back to Rod Real Radio. Stan, Wendy, and I, we are talking to Promore Pro Staffer, an expert recreational lobster hooper, Jim Salazar. Jim, again, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. It's always fun talking to you guys. I remember that one uh, year I had one foot on the dock and one foot on the phone, and I was uh, ready to take off. <laughs> we always appreciate your time because I know, Jim, you're almost always ready to take off. But, hey, getting back to uh, uh, the recreational uh, lobster hoops, obviously you can't catch lobsters without bait, and you look at all the um, – the recreational hoops that there are in the market, uh, some of them have a pocket in them. Some of them you can get like a cage. There's also a new thing that looks like a PVC uh, bait uh, tube. Uh, tell me, uh, uh, tell us the features, advantages, and benefits of uh, all those uh, bait devices. 
Well, if we could go back in a time machine about 10 years, we could all start using bait pockets again. But nowadays they've turned into nothing more than an appetizer of netting for the uh, sea lions on their way to the, uh, to the bait. They've really, really gotten incredibly smart. Bait cages, I can still use bait cages in most places of the Santa Monica Bay. There are a few places by the break walls where there's a few smarter guys that have figured it out. Um, San Diego Bay, forget about it. You, if you have a bait cage, you'd need barbed wire around it or yeah. you know, spikes sticking out of it. It's amazing how smart they've gotten. Um, somebody was telling me they had a screw on top, and they thought that they had figured out how to screw, unscrew the top. But <laughs> <laughs> That's going a little bit far. But uh, these PVC tubes are really neat. That's the only way to keep them out, um, although, you know, um, you want to have as big a hole in your PVC tubes as you can because you want those lobsters and crabs to have as much access to the bait as they can. You want them to be so busily eating that you literally have to pry them off of the bait tube. So you want to stuff it pretty full. You want them to have access to that bait. You don't want to just have some bait down in the middle of this PVC tube rattling around. You know, the, It'll attract them with the scent, but it won't keep them there because they want something to eat. So you have to have some bait available to them. So... Stuff those bait cages, stuff those bait tubes, you know, make sure you got that bait sticking out the sides of them. And I've been using uh, scents lately. Um, I started using a scent from Potskis, the guys who make the little salmon eggs. Yeah, and, really? And I start, and they uh, told me that I could catch stuff without uh, bait, so I tried it with a soaking a chamois in it and put the GoPro camera on it. And the critters actually crawled into the net, but they wouldn't stay there because there was nothing to eat. So the combination of the scent is is really, really a good attractant. I found out when I was up in June Lake this last, uh, about three weeks ago, I went up to June Lake Loop, and we were staying at Silver Lake, and we were catching crawdads. Have you guys ever tried to catch crawdads up there? Oh, yeah, they're in Bridgeport. I mean, some of them are small lobsters. They are really small lobsters. We were getting pieces out of the claws of meat that were as big as our thumbs. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. They when were you so start seeing a, a 12-inch or 14-inch crawdads and they're black they get the kind of a blue color yeah blue kind of a black color but we dropped our nets our our traps crawdad traps and one of them didn't have a can of cat food in it because usually that's a traditional way you poke a bunch of holes in a can of cat food and it acts as an attractant a lot of a lot of hoop netters like to use that too um so uh, one of the traps didn't have that can in there and it didn't have as many crawdads in it. It had about half as many crawdads as all the other traps. It had a can of cat food in it. So scent is really important for these crustaceans, you guys. You need to get them attracted in there, but you also need something for them to eat once they get there. Uh, now, Jim, uh, tell me, what do they eat? I mean, uh, us as recreational guys, what should we be stocking up on maybe during the season or going out to get to use as bait for these traps? Well, the red baits are the best baits is my favorite saying, and I think the red baits are skipjack, bonita, mackerel, uh, salmon, salmon heads, salmon cutoffs, um, tuna bloodlines, um, tuna heads, tuna uh, cutoffs, um, anything that's oily and bloody. You want an oily, bloody bait to attract them. Okay, and... and, Jim, and- and do you think that the the tube with the holes in it will hold the uh, the lobsters uh, long enough for you to pull up on it? That the, uh, they're feeding through the holes in it. How how large should those holes be if you're making your own? And uh, you know, are the ones on the market adequate enough for the uh, you know to get the job done? 
there's about 75 or 100 holes in the one that Promar sells, so that's a lot of drilling. So if you're really into it and you're the you know do-it-yourself kind of guy, you can make your own. I would suggest using half-inch or even bigger uh, for the holes because you want, like I say, you want those those lobsters to have access to that uh, to that bait. Um, but uh, yeah, bait tubes are, are definitely a good way to go. Um, pour some scent on top of them. I like freezing my bait cages and freezing my bait tubes. I'll pour some of that. Uh, Procure also makes another uh, attractant that's really good and, and a little bit thicker consistency than the Potskis. I kind of like it. So I was mixing the two of them together last year, making them my own mad scientist concoction. And I, I would put it on top of the bait, and then I would put it in a Ziploc one-gallon bag, two uh, smaller of the new Promar bait cages or two of the bait tubes, and I'd freeze it. And then I'd take it out. I wouldn't even bother thawing it out. I would just use my bait cage clips and clip it right onto the bait uh, ring on the bottom of the Promar nets. And then I would drop it down, and it would time-release thaw out. You know, if you think about it with all those chums we, we buy for sharks and like sure. that, it's usually a frozen chum bucket, and you just poke holes in it, and it time-releases out. So Yeah. Now, let's okay, I, got about... a, I got two questions because one guy just texted me one. But, uh, um, I got a... Uh, on the pot skis, is, is it the same thing as the salmon eggs? Do they just crush it up and that, that milky uh, scent comes out of that? Yeah, you know, it's really super oily. It has a lot of salmon oil in it because when you put your fingers in it and you rub them together, you really feel that oil. And when yeah. you drop that net into the water, you can literally see droplets of oil coming off of that uh, off of the net. Cool. Well, then the, the, I had a guy text me and asked me to have him go over what what's that new pulling system about so explain that again and and it's how it works and maybe where it's been around that. for a while um scotty also has one but i it's more of a capstan style and you really need to be on top of the rope with this ace line hauler it's a little easier to uh to pull that in you just uh it's a it's it's a 12 volt device pulls at 150 feet a minute has um a uh, stainless wheel on it and stainless parts and the parts that aren't stainless are um, uh, powder-coated aluminum. And um, so it's a very well-made device. It has a sealed motor on it, a sealed switch on it. And um, you basically uh, run your rope through the outer pulley on a little arm, a little short, about two-foot-long arm. And then you run it over your main pulley and uh, drop your uh, uh, new bulldog wheel on it. And it puts some pressure on it, and you turn the machine on, and it'll just pull that rope right up at 150 feet a minute. Wow, that's yes. pretty cool. Oh, it's amazing. It's really, a, really a cool device. Um, no, I'm really trying these to guys get... are new. These guys are new. At, a lot of new guys are out there with boats now. <laughs> a lot of people got boats this year, so <laughs> they're they're all looking for. Well, don't ways don't get a rope on. caught in your prop, you guys. That's probably the most yeah. important message I need to get out on this on this uh, show today. Is rope management, and IDing your floats and lighting up your floats. Um, safety is really important out there. If you're hooping in 30 feet of water and you have 70 feet of rope, you're going to have 40 feet of rope floating up on the surface. So you want to do something with that excess rope. I have a saying that about 10 to 20 feet of additional rope for the depth that you're in. So up, that works up to about 60 feet or so. So if you're hooping in 60 feet of water, about 80 feet of rope. If you're hooping in uh, 20 feet of water, about 30 feet of rope is enough. 25 feet of rope might do it. So you don't want to have all that rope floating on the surface because it's going to get caught in your prop or somebody else's prop, and it could mean a life, especially if, it's a, if you're on the outside of the break wall and it's a windy night. So 
One other way to keep the guys from running into your stuff is to light your floats and put reflective tape on them. Um, uh, there's a lot of, uh, Promar has some LED lights out there. We also have chem light sticks that we sell um, in my book. And uh, at my seminars, I describe a way that you can uh, put a ballast weight on the bottom of your float to keep your light stick up out of the water so it's easy to find. Um, that reflective tape is a, a Department of uh, Transportation type of reflective tape, so it's highly reflective. You just shine a light on it, and you see that float right there. makes it really easy to find them um, at night. And then uh, IDing your floats is another good idea. The uh, department's going to make us do this in the 1718 uh, season when they do the new uh, proposed regs. This is one of the new proposed regs is that you put your Go ID on there. Your Go ID is the number that's on your fishing license, your hunting license, or your um, report card. It's all the same. Anything you get from DFG is going to have that go number on there. So they're going to want you to put that number on there. It's not a bad idea to get used to it. I just rigged up a whole bunch of stuff this afternoon, and I just put new markers with my uh, go ID number on my floats. How about the, you know, a lot of change in the cards. It used to be that you had two cards per season. Now I think you have one card, but... Also, there is a penalty still if you don't get your card in by the end of the season. Is at, the end of the, at the end of the season, you should turn in those report cards. Now, a report card is a device that you need. It's a, uh, a, um, something that uh, the department sells, Fish and Game or Fish and Wildlife sells, along with your fishing license. You can buy it at most places where you can buy your fishing license. It's an additional um, less than $10 fee which in my mind is one of the best deals on the market out there when you consider the price of lobster. For $10, you get seven lobsters or more. Sure. It's a wonderful deal. Um, everybody has to have a report card. Children under 16 that, are, that don't need a fishing license, they still need a report card if they want to go out there and help you catch lobsters and get a limit of lobsters. Again, that's such a deal. I'm telling you, 10 bucks for another limit of lobsters on your boat with the kids. Um, people fishing on a pier that don't need a fishing license, um, they need to have a report card if they're hoop netting for lobsters. This report card was very important to myself and Elsa Stukovic because we represented you guys in the Lobster Advisory Committee meetings for the Fishery Management Plan for Lobster, which uh, came out with some proposed regulation changes, very few and nothing that really should anybody should be alarmed about. Um, but uh, um, the lobster report card was my main tool for dealing with any attack from the ecologicals or the um, uh, or the con- commercial guys who wanted to give us a, a, a cap on our on our uh, seasonal limit, or who wanted to take away our conical nets, or make any drastic changes like that, or reduce our number of uh, gear, um, the lobster report card turned out to be my best tool to defend your rights. So please turn it in. A note from the department is they would prefer if you turn it in online. That way um, you're not responsible for that $20 fee that uh, you mentioned earlier, John, um, if you don't turn it in. Um, otherwise, you have to wait out a year. So uh, to avoid that $20 fee, go online and turn that thing in. It's a much easier way to do it. And, Jim, just quickly, when should you fill out the information on that lobster card? Because I understand there have been some individuals that have been ticketed that said, well, we were going to fill the lobster card out before uh, after we caught the lobster, and I guess the ruling is that you've got to fill it out beforehand and indicate where you're going? Before you start hoop netting, 
you have to fill out the laps of the card. Now, a lot of times I'll have my hoop nets on my boat, and I'll pull my boat out of the harbor, and I want to make sure that the conditions are okay. It's not too windy. It's, the swell's not too bad. And, you know, I don't want to fill it out and then have to put a zero on there for, a, you know, did not attempt. I'd rather go take a look at it, see if it looks like it's a good night, and then I'll fill out my lobster report card. And I'll put the date, the type of gear that I'm using, um, the um, location that I'm in, and um, at the end of the evening, you have to make sure that when you come back in, that you fill out the number before you get to the dock, before you come back into the harbor. When you're done with your nets and you put them all back on the boat, you should fill out that report card with the number of lobsters that you've kept. It's very important that you do that because it's just as a big a ticket for not filling out the report card as it is for not filling it out when you're coming back in with the number of lobsters you've kept. All right, Jim Salazar, uh, expert recreational lobster hoopster. Jim, if people want to get a hold of you, find out how to go out on a charter, find out more about uh, what you're doing, how's the best way to do it? Uh, my website, salvaslayer.com, or go to the uh, Promar uh, or Ahi websites. Okay, or just get a hold of you on Facebook. Or get a hold of us on Facebook. All right. Jim, thanks a lot for being with us. Uh, appreciate it. A lot of great tips. You have a great season. We'll check in with you from time to time to see how things are going. Do that, please. And, Wendy, please be sure you mention the CCALA chapter November 11th meeting at the Long Beach Rod and Gun Club. Okay, Good idea. We'll, get, we'll get that done. Thank hey, you, guys. This, this is Rod and Real Radio. We've got to take a break right now. Coming up next, Kevin Matson, and he's got a story that you're going to want to hear. Stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ringed hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. Hey, bass fishermen, who do you call for your bass boat insurance? Well, if you're not calling me at 1-800-BASS-BOAT for your boat insurance, you're probably paying too much and may not have the coverage that you need. In 1974, I developed the bass boat program that is what all the pros use today. The reason? No depreciation or any partial claim for your hull, your big motor, your trolling motor, or your electronics until your boat's 10 years old. That's right. You only pay $250 to get your boat on the water for any partial claim, and we still pay a stated value replacement cost for your boat if you have a total loss. We're the only people in the industry that does that, and that's why we are the choice of the pros. So if you want the best, forget the rest. Just call 1-800-BASSBOAT. Call 1-800-227-7262 or just spell BASSBOAT. 1-800-BASSBOAT. I know there's too many letters, but the T is free and the call's on me. That's 1-800-BASSBOAT, the choice of the pros for bass boat insurance. For more information, log on to 1-800-BASSBOAT.com. My angler aged to earth. Like the mighty flounder, I will keep one eye on the pole and the other watching for rogue waves. I'll save water by taking shorter showers and enthusiastically celebrate talk like a pirate day. Aye. I will chat up the locals before launching in unfamiliar waters. And I will always, always wear my life jacket. 
What's your H2O? Tell us at BoatCalifornia.com. The California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways reminds you to wear it, California. It's tuna time, and it's time to reserve your spot on one of the newest boats in the fleet, the 70-foot Sea Adventure 2 at H&M Landing in San Diego. It has a really comfortable galley that seats up to 24 passengers with all the comforts of home, including two big satellite flat-screen TVs and satellite phone. The huge new bait tank and slammer ensure plenty of bait for everyone, and two four-ton refrigerated fish holds, both RSW and blast-free, have plenty of room to keep your catch as fresh as the minute you caught it. Reserve your spot on the Sea Adventure Two online at hmlanding.com or call H&M Landing at 619-222-1144. Hey, welcome back. Stan, Wendy, and I, we are happy to have you, and we're going to introduce our next guest to you. This next guest has been, oh, what can I tell you? He's been introduced as a madman of a fisherman. He is, though, an extreme outdoorsman, and, man, if it, Swims or crawls, he is after it. This has been a season of great catches, and this is another story to add to that season. Let's introduce our listening audience to Kevin Matson. Kevin, welcome to the show. Oh, hey, how's it going, guys? Kevin, buddy. <laughs> we are up? doing Dan, great. Doing? Yeah, yeah, hey, Kevin, we're going to let you take it away over here because we kind of cut you short on some time of it. You've got a story to tell. Why didn't you tell it? Well, I uh, I set a goal of catching there a marlin out of the Ranger Ranger bass boat this year, and uh, lo and behold, it came true. Last time out, I got one. It turned out to be a blue. It was three fifteen. It was a Beautiful well, fish. let's go back. Hold on, Kev. You're gonna. You got a short. You got a little bit of time here. You got a little more time than that, with Kevin. A, with a ranger boat, and then go into the story. <laughs> um, yeah, I got a 17 foot ranger that I've outfitted basically for calico bass. It's your standard ranger fisherman, and I put recessed rod holders in the corner and a troll motor up front, a 74 pound thrust motor guide, and mostly chase calico bass and yellows and a lot of inshore stuff. But uh, with this El Nino thing, um, I've kind of ventured offshore a little bit with it. You know, I've gone as far as 20, 20-something miles offshore and caught some tuna fish and some Dorado. But this marlin thing just really had me piked. Like, I just, I knew it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I put a good 10 trips into it trolling the marlin jigs. And I had nothing. And then the other day, right at sunset, I mean, literally the sun dips. And I pulled them in, and I was calling it a day, and ran through some good water, and some flying fish took off, and I saw a bunch of birds squatted down, and some other activity. I just couldn't pass it up. I dropped them in the water. I was fishing uh, catchy tackle spinners right there. I was trying to catch a wahoo right at the gray light in the in the evening there, and I picked it up and started running. And I was probably doing ten or eleven knots trolling them right as right at dark, and uh, hooked a blue marlin. Rod just doubled over in the corner and. Started taking the hundred pound, and uh, I couldn't believe it, man. Thing came out of the water, and I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna get this in the boat. Now wait a minute, are you alone? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Kev. <laughs> okay. yeah, I, I would have been scared and, uh, to death. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I kind of, for a second, was just like, oh man, this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a challenge. So I, I, you know, I left it in the holder, and the fish did a big loop, started greyhounding. And as soon as the pressure came up on the rod, I took it out of the holder and tried to come tight to the thing. And I went to the bow, and the fish started towing the boat. 
And uh, with the swell, I was trying to balance and just get a hold for it. And the thing was pulling so hard, I just couldn't, I couldn't stay on my feet. I dropped to one knee, and I basically went to the rail. The fish went straight up and down, and I, I put the rod over the troll motor in the bow and uh, just used it as a fulcrum. And for two and a half hours, I was straight up and down on the thing. And uh, it was well into the dark, and I couldn't see anything. And finally, the leader comes up. And then here comes this bill, you know, as long as my arm. And I was just like, oh, man. You know, I, I, I couldn't believe how big it was when it was next to the boat. And uh, it came up dead. I was super bummed. I wanted a really cool selfie just holding the bill and have a really cool shot of it on the side of the boat and releasing it. But the fish came up dead. So my next thing was I sunk a gaff into it and tail roped it off and then started trying to figure out how I was possibly going to get it in the boat. I tried to use uh, my cleat as a fulcrum and just try to pull it up into the boat. It just wasn't happening. So I ended up uh, roping it off, uh, bill first towards the bow, and I'm in a 17-foot boat. The fish is probably, I don't know, 11 feet long. So uh, I just put it on Old the side of the boat. Old man feed him back into shore, huh? Yeah, it was, uh, I was worried about getting sharked, too. I was just like, man, I hope this thing doesn't get sharked. I'm like, nobody's going to believe this. I hope everything comes together and I can possibly make the harbor. And when I was coming in, there wasn't too much swell. But, um, I mean, my lights are intermittent on my boat. I didn't even have running lights. I had a flashlight in my hand, and that's it. And, oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, Kevin, were you, you know, going the, into San Diego Bay or Mission Bay? Uh, I was Dana. going on a mission to Dana right there. Yeah. And uh, when I got in close enough, I started calling people, and I was just like, hey, you know, if I flip the boat with this thing right here, I'm just giving you my coordinates of where I am, because it would list to one side, and I'd kind of plane down the face, and then I'd have to correct for it, and then it would kind of plane over again, and I was just like, man, i, I got to pull this off, you know? Well, 300 pounds of weight on the side of your boat, on, a, on the side of a 17-foot or 17-and-a-half-foot Ranger boat is going to change the attitude a little bit when you start to, yeah. when you start to maneuver. <laughs> Yeah, and then I, I got into the harbor there, and uh, a handful of people came down to meet me. You know, Kelly G came down, and uh, Andrew Hinkle, and a handful of well, other guys came down. Well, and you posted down. it on Facebook, and guys are, like, posting on Facebook, I'll be there in a minute, dog, get down there. <laughs> oh, yeah, they came down, and uh, they saw it roped off of the boat, and just this whole get crowd gathered around, all these lobster guys going out. We're just like, man, you got that in your, your bass boat? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> It was just—it was really just a dream come true for me, you know. It was just uh, one of those things I just—I set out to accomplish it, and I just couldn't believe it all came together. I just felt so fortunate. You know, the—the—I've known Kevin. Kevin and I go way back. He's—he's <laughs> he's just a wild man, anyhow. It's, you know, one minute you'll see him in, in uh, chasing the snake someplace in the desert, and next he's in, you know. Zimbabwe catching the largest perch around, or whatever he can catch. That's just oh, for him. And uh, and he can't help himself, which is a good thing. Uh, but I love the fact, you know, with the heart. What a great heart for the fishermen, you know, go out there and, and old man of the sea, a blue uh, out of your bass boat. <laughs> just, yeah, it was a it was a total old man in the sea thing, man. I was I was talking to it, you know, when it came out of the water. <laughs> Sorry, I was like, Sorry, I was like, oh, just like, don't shake it, man. Don't shake it, you know. And it was changing directions and tail walking, and I was just like, oh my god, I got to pull this off. Towing the boat and then the swell, ah, so much going on. It was just, and it was dark. I mean, it was pitch black. I couldn't see anything. I had to flashlight my hand. I'm trying to tail rope it. It was, it was, it was, it was something else. Man, now what a great adventure, buddy. That's all I gotta say. It's such, such a cool story. 
and, and knowing you, it's even better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm what, straight up what about do, it all. What do you I mean, do with all this marlin now, uh, Kevin? Uh, I cut it and just handed it out to everybody who was there and everybody who helped. And just, I mean, I'm still, I'm still giving it out. You want a piece? Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I got plenty. Throw it well, in the smoker. Well, now. Oh, yeah. A, a marlin was uh, on your uh, list of things to do. Looks like you could chalk that one off. Is, mm-hmm. is there uh, another thing on your bucket list, uh, fishing-wise, that you want to do? Uh, well, the, the local wahoo thing's up there right now. You know, I've caught plenty of them long-range fishing with Stan and whatnot. You know, i got an eight-day coming up here in a week. But I just I want that local one. I mean, that's, that, was, that was my first thing, was the local wahoo. But then these blue marlins started popping up, and the guy got that six-something on the nine, and I was just thinking, like, man, I, I can reach that with my bass boat. You yeah, know, they got a I six and a four. Yeah, they were, they were biting, and, and I could reach it. You know what I mean? That's the fact that I could get to it. You know, and I wanted to go on Wednesday, and uh, the wind picked up, and, you know, I had no chance. And I just I have to pick my windows on when I could make it out. And then even my tor- trolling direction, I couldn't troll upswell. I'd usually have to kind of tack at a 45-degree angle and then turn it around and come back down swell. And uh, I'm only trolling two rods. It just, it just really had to all come together for me to get it, and it, it kind of did. It was, it was pretty magical. I still can't believe it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's way cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kevin, I've, I've got to believe that that's the largest fish that's ever been landed by a solo angler in a ranger bass boat, maybe a ranger boat of any kind. Yeah, that's kind of what I was shooting for, really. I mean, I, I'm just glad it wasn't bigger, to tell you the truth. I just don't know what I would have done with it. Just the way it was riding when it was roped off in the swell, I, I you know, <laughs> so a 500-pounder. So what kind of gear are you using? Uh, I was fishing Okuma Makaira 30 with 100-pound oh, braid. And then uh, I had 100-pound max on top of that, and then I had a 250-pound leader on it and a catchy tackle spinner, the bigger one, the pink one. Nice. I was running those, I was running those spinners because uh, my marauders were kind of jumping out of the water just the way I was trolling. It was kind of wishy-washy, and uh, those catchy tra- tackles were trolling straight, and I was running fast. I was really picking it up, trying to trying to trigger a wahoo right there at the end. And I mean, lo and behold, it was a blue marlin. It was just well, that was, was one surreal. of the lures I missed talking about earlier. I was talking about trolling for wahoo. I said use a the cowbell from Ballyhood, but the catchy tackle is another one that will stay down and track mm-hmm. straight, and you can go with yeah. speed, and it won't come out of the water where marauders mm-hmm. will. So, Good well, job, I had, buddy. That's I all I could say. All I could think about is when, when uh, John goes, we're going to have Matson on, I wanted to say, throw on my line. <laughs> <laughs> How cool is that? Remember that free swimming wahoo? That was so cool. Yeah, like, throw on my line! I got a wahoo right here, and I just ran over. And throw on my line! Fire. Yeah, we were. There was one behind. We were fishing down in uh, off the qualifier 105, and Kevin was with me, and I I just hung a wahoo close to the boat, and there was another one right behind it, going back and forth. And I told Kevin, just throw on my line. <laughs> yeah, Stan's all there's a, there's a free swimmer right here, wahoo in the corner. I'm like, where's he at, Stan? Stan goes right on my line, fired out on his line, and. Hung him. I was like, yeah, just like you that. Know, <laughs> Kevin, we uh, we uh, said that uh, you're kind of an extreme fisherman, an extreme outdoorsman. I know this had to be a memory of a lifetime. Is there any other fish that you can think of that uh, catching it brought out the you know the the juices the way this one did? Uh, well, I did that uh, that trip to Guyana, and I did that uh, Amazon trip last year. 
and I was fortunate enough to land that big Arapaima. And uh, Steve, that was impressive, me, by the way. Yeah, Steve, you told me was there, and uh, that was just uh, one of those things. It was almost like freshwater bass fishing. You know, these Arapaima were blowing up on peacock bass, and I reach into my box and I pull out a Fire Tiger 250, and I just I looked at the guide and I said, "Dude, I'm going to get one on this thing right now," and I did. Second cast, I hung one about 250 and uh, landed that fish, which was the first one of the trip. And uh, later on in the trip, I got one about 300, and then uh, I landed the big fish on the third day. It was probably 350, and uh, I got that wow. one on, on video, cast to catch, and it towed the the, out- the canoe deal around the lagoon for probably 30 or 40 minutes, just greyhounding like a tarpon. And it was another one of those just, I, I couldn't believe I was there. It was just totally surreal. You know, it's just like, you know, I've got a 350-pounder on right now. It was, it was unbelievable. You know, well, is that Yatomi's biggest fish, too, I mean, of that, of that species? Uh, yeah, Steve said basically um, if we would have taken it and weighed it and certified it and all that, it would have been the all-tackle world records, what he said. Oh, um, cool, but, dude. I don't care how you cut it. That's just all bad. Yeah, I mean, I it was pretty cool. That, but, and I thought that was the way know, to go, bro. <laughs> yeah, the, nati- the natives were all about, you know, catch and release, and so was I. I mean, I, just like I said, with this marlin, I ought to release it, too. Um, but uh, at least I got pictures of that thing and the whole fight and the whole nine yards. And uh, we jumped into the, the river there with the natives, and uh, we had like an 11-foot came and come up and start stalking us, and we are in the water with it. And I looked at one of the guides, and I was like, I was like, hey, can that thing attack us, you think? And he's like, oh, yeah, man. I said, all right, well, you know, if you're going to go, this would be a way to go. So, Kevin, uh, Kev, you're the best, great. buddy. Kevin, That's all i got to say. It's been fun watching it. I don't care what they say. It's, you, you've done a great job, bud. I appreciate it, Stan. Hey, uh, Kevin, before we let you go, uh, any sponsors you want to mention that help you go out and pursue this love of yours? Uh, Phoenix Rods, I got it on a uh, 700 uh, X4, and I, um, my Makaira, Bukuma, sponsored by both of them, Maxima Lion. Great product. And, uh, one of these days, maybe Ranger Boats, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, maybe, me, and a bigger one, I hope. My, my boat's beat up, pull some strings for me. All right. Hey, Kevin, thanks for being with us and sharing your story, giving up some of your Saturday night. We hope to have you on again for another big fish story. Hopefully I get one. I appreciate it, guys. Congratulations. Kevin Nelson, we'll talk to you later. (laughs) Talking about his 350-pound blue marlin that he caught. I didn't realize the the boat was that small. I thought it was 19. It was only like 17 and a half. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's there's no freeboard on it. That's the thing. (laughs) You're you're right. (laughs) All right. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Hey, Stan and Wendy. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Take care, Kev. Hey, that's it for tonight. Uh, you know, I hope you have a good week, and uh, we'll come back here next week and do it again. Oh, fun show. That was a lot of fun. We'll catch you guys next week. Catch and you guys Wendy, next I hope week, that... and I'm off, I'm oh, off to Alabama to go fish a bass tournament, so I will talk to you guys next month. Oh, wait a minute, Wendy. What about the, the meeting for CCA? I'm not sure what meeting you're talking about. All right. Never mind. <laughs> hey, we'll we'll catch up on that next week. On behalf of Stan, okay. Wendy, JR, our producer at the AM540 Studios, Ben Harvey, our local producer here in San Diego, and always in memory of Big Tuna Bill and, Betty, uh, and uh, Eddie McCune, two guys that really launched this show. 
We want to thank you for listening tonight. Hope you had as good a time as we did listening to the guest. Stay tuned for more Ron Real Radio coming up next Sunday night starting at 5.05 on AM 540 or ronrealradio.com. So until then, go out and get them. As Kevin Minio used to say, they're getting away. Stay safe. We're out for now. Good night, everyone.